You're listening to Root Lock Radio. Hello and welcome to Root Lock Radio a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. My name is Weston, I live in New York City, and I am your host. Rootlock Radio is designed to be a course in learning the tarot cards, so if you haven't listened before, you might want to start at episode one. Each episode builds on the lessons in the previous episodes. Last time, we looked at how the major arcana cards help us to unlock the meaning of the four suits of the minor arcana cards, and we also looked at the particular elements elements and the symbols representing those elements as different ways to conceive of the energy of those four suits. In today's episode, we'll turn to the numbers 1 through 10 and see how the major arcana cards help us to understand how the numbers play out in these minor cards. And then we'll move on to the suit of wands and we'll look at the cards ace through 10 in the suit of wands in depth. I'd like to say briefly that I've had people reach out to me about having one-on-one tarot lessons and this is something I'm very excited to do. Helping aspiring tarot readers is where my interest lies most in my tarot services. Because of this, I've added a lessons section to the Rootlock Tarot website where you can easily book a lesson with me, either in person or online using a video chat. To check that out, visit rootlocktarot.com lessons. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Rootlock Radio. Previously, we identified the minor arcana cards as representing slice-of-life moments, and people often wonder if the minor arcana cards represent things that are smaller in time than those on the major cards. So I want to say something about that real quick before we move into these numbers. The experiences and moments represented on these minor cards can be quite big or quite small. So they have the ability to sort of morph and stretch into big moments or condense into little moments. So any of the moments depicted on the minor arcana cards could be just something you feel fleetingly or experience very fleetingly in a matter of a few seconds, or it could be something that defines an era or epoch of your life. So while the major cards show us these sort of big archetypal experiences, the minor cards are more flexible, and sometimes they represent something that's just very small and fleeting, and sometimes they represent something a little bit bigger and more lasting. And this makes them useful tools in the tarot because we have this flexibility of experiencing things on both a micro and a macro level within these minor cards. In the previous episode, we introduced the concept of the minor arcana cards representing a grid of daily experiences that you can create a visual of by laying out the cards in a 10 by 4 card rectangle. The four rows are the suits, and the 10 columns are the numbers ace through 10. 
In that episode, we covered the four suits in various ways, and looked at how the first four cards of the Major Arcana, the element itself, as well as the symbol representing the element on those cards, can help us understand those four suits. The other side of the matrix is the numbers 1 through 10, and numerology can help us to understand what those 10 numbers represent, because if you'll remember, each card within the minor arcana is an intersection between the suit or the elemental energy and the number on the card. If you're thinking to yourself, oh man, numerology, how am I ever going to learn that? The thing is that you already have a little bit in our journey with the Fool. So we introduced some ideas about the numbers 1 through 10 in those episodes. So what I'm going to do now is connect the numbers 1 through 10 to the corresponding major arcana cards and talk about how those card meanings that we've already established translates into this minor arcana grid. The way of conceiving of the Fool's journey was to think of a human being going through a journey of archetypal experiences of life. But in the Minor Arcana card, the character that we're following is not a human, it's actually the energy itself. So in the first Ace cards, the energy manifests. And then in the following nine cards, we see how that energy evolves and transforms over time, based on the number on the card. So as you go through the minor cards, think less about a human character, and more about how a particular elemental energy is changing into different expressions of that energy, and the ways that might look in somebody's day-to-day life. This helps us to understand that in our daily life, each of the four elemental energies show up in different ways and in different combinations. And by studying these 40 cards, we begin to understand the different ways that those elemental energies can show up for us. So let's look at those numbers. The number one, which appears as the ace cards in the minor arcana, is linked to the major arcana card of the magician. And if you'll remember from our discussion of the Fool's Journey. In the journey, the magician represents the moment of conception where the sperm meets the egg. It's that magical moment where something begins to exist out of nowhere. And if you look at those ace cards, you see a hand from the clouds holding the symbol of the suit. And what this represents is the energy of that suit manifesting seemingly out of nowhere. We'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the individual suits, but this is a helpful starting point to understand when looking at the numbers one through 10 in each suit. The beginning of the journey of that energy comes from it manifesting sort of out of nowhere in a magical conception moment, not dissimilar to the magician moment of the fool's journey. The number two card in the Major Arcana is the High Priestess, and if you'll remember, she represents the time of gestation. So you want to link the number two in your mind with this idea of gestation, and we'll see how that plays out in those Minor Arcana cards. The number three card in the Major Arcana is the Empress, and if you'll remember, the Empress is the Great Mother card, but what's happening to the Fool during this moment of mothering is development, and that's the same thing that's happening to the elemental energy in the three cards. You see this development. The number four card is the Emperor, and he's the father figure, and what he does is provide structure for the fool. And the same way we see a structuring happening to the energy of each element in the four cards on the minor arcana. 
The numbers 1 through 4 in the minor arcana represent the most simple expressions of the particular energy of that suit, while the numbers 6 through 9 represent a more complex expression of that energy. So the number 5 is this transition time between simple and complex. And if you'll remember, the number 5 card in the major arcana was the Hierophant. And this was the moment where the fool left behind the simple experiences of early childhood and moved into the more complex ones of later childhood, where he's indoctrinated by school and church. And the experience of this transition wasn't necessarily easy for him. So what we see in the number five cards of the minor arcana is a similar transition to this more complex expression, but it's not an easy transition. It's got that feeling of growing pain to it and a little bit of loss around the loss of innocence of the more simple expression in the earlier cards. And this is a direct echo of what we see in the major arcana at this moment. The number six card of the Major Arcana is the Lovers, and what you really want to take away from the Lovers card in relation to the number six cards of the Minor Arcana is that it's this rebalancing moment after the transition of number five. So as we move into these more complex expressions, there's that transition moment in number five, and then in the number six, a new balance is achieved in this higher expression of the energy. And the way we see that in the lover's card is that the beauty of life and individual choice is restored in the lover's card after the indoctrination that we see in the hierophant card, which really kind of strips away that freedom of early childhood. The number seven card in the Major Arcana was the chariot, and this is where we see an individual having their own agency over their lives. And it's sort of this raw power that an adolescent has as they move towards their adult life. There's a lot of possibility here. So the number seven cards in the minor arcana reflect this raw power feeling. So as we're moving into these more complex expressions and maturing in the minor arcana, the number seven is sort of this moment where that more mature and complex energy of the element is a power that we can use in some way. We have a choice about it just as the chariot card represents sort of this moment of individual agency where you get to decide where to go forward. You have the reins in your hands. So you might want to think of that image with the number seven in the minor arcana is you're holding the reins. The number eight card in the major arcana is strength. And if you'll remember, this is where the fool takes that individual agency and channels it into a coming out moment where he decides to embrace something about himself or a passion that he has. He's energized by the power that he has and the direction that he's finding in his life. So the number eight cards in the Minor Arcana represent this energized moment where the raw power is channeling through this energized moment and transforming into something even more complex. There's a lot of movement forward in these number eight cards. And then the number nine in the Major Arcana is affiliated with the card the Hermit. And if you remember, the Hermit is a turning inward 
moment. So as we're reaching the end of the Minor Arcana suits, the number nine is showing us that we've sort of accomplished something. We have an attainment moment, but there's also a moment of kind of turning in on yourself and reflecting over where you stand as you approach the completion of this energy cycle. And then the number 10 we remember from the Major Arcana is the Wheel of Fortune, and this is the moment where we reckon with the forces of the universe. So in the Minor Arcana, we have a similar thing. In number nine, we've attained a goal within the energy of this suit. And then in the number 10, the universe shows up and lets us know if it supports or opposes where we stand. And when you look at those number 10 cards, you really see this. They span from the absolute elatedness of the number 10 with the suit of cups to the complete and utter defeat represented in the number 10 in the suit of swords. And of course, we'll get into the details of these cards and why those cards depict what they do. But for now, just think of the number 10 in the Minor Arcana as sort of being where our accomplishments are weighed up against the universe. So again, going through those numbers, the number one is conception, the number two is gestation, in number three we have that growth of the energy and the development. In the number four, we have the structuring of the energy. And then in the number five, we have the transition into the more complex expressions. In the number six, we have a rebalancing after this transition. In the number seven, we have this raw power of the energy. In the number eight, we have that energy being energized. In the number nine, we have a attainment with a bit of inward reflection happening. And then in the number 10, 10 is the completion where we reckon with the universe over the completion of that energy cycle. So what we're seeing in the Minor Arcana are these four narratives about how energy develops and evolves over time. As we now turn to the suit of wands, what we're going to do is go through the cards ace through ten and look at how the fire energy interacts with the numbers one through ten to create and dictate the meaning of each of these cards. So as we go through, I'll remind you of what the numbers mean. And this is the same way that we'll go through all four of the suits in the coming episodes. So the first card is the Ace of Wands, and like all aces, what we see on this card is a hand from the clouds holding out a single version of the symbol of the suit. And if you remember, the number one is that moment of conception. So we have this magical spark where the energy of the suit manifests seemingly out of nowhere. All four of the ace cards share this moment of manifestation of the energy of the suit. And when you look at that hand from the clouds on the card, it's sort of like the universe is gifting you the energy of that suit. In this case, the universe is handing you a wand, which kind of symbolizes a dose of fresh fire energy coming out of nowhere. It's sort of a bolt from the blue of that energy. If you look at the way that the hand holds the wand, this is another place where we can kind of see the energy of the fire suit represented. The hand looks 
looks very confident and optimistic, which are very fiery characteristics. You even see a bit of a thumbs up happening with that hand. So that can kind of remind you of that optimistic energy. A uh, very fiery energy thinks that it can do anything. And when you look at the landscape on the card, it looks inviting. It looks very nice and pleasant and kind of balanced. And we have this castle on a hill, which symbolizes the striving for a goal that is something that permeates all wand experiences. We always have this drive that burns in us and makes us strive for something. So if you pull the Ace of Wands in a tarot reading, it's a fresh fire or wand opportunity. A dose of fresh fire energy shows up and it's up to you to figure out how you're going to act on it, if at all. So it's a very undefined version of the fire energy. It's unformed and you get to choose if and how you're going to utilize it. The number two we'll remember is the gestation period. So this is where this fresh dose of fire energy is gestated. We're sort of simmering on it for a while. And this is where you figure out what to do with the energy. So on the card, we see this figure standing up in a castle. It could be that same castle from the Ace card. You see that he has nice clothes on. So he's got resources, right? He appears to be in a pretty good position standing up in this castle with nice clothes on. And also he's holding the world in his hands, which is of course a symbol of having endless opportunity, right? When someone has the world in their hands, they have a very good advantage. So in the story of the wands cards, this is where the energy is recognized and we're trying to figure out what to do about it. And fire energy mixes well with the number two, the number of gestation, because fire energy likes to be contained. It doesn't do well when it gets out of control, as we'll see in later cards. It does well to have that balance of pausing and thinking and curbing the impulse and figuring out what to do next. So in a small way here, we're seeing that balance of the masculine action-oriented energy with the feminine meditation-oriented energy that is so important in the story of the Major Arcana. So if you draw the Two of Wands in a tarot reading, it's urging you to contemplate your next steps. It's saying that you have the resources and you have the energy to do something and asking, how are you going to do it? It's urging you to stop and reflect and plan around something that you feel passionate about and to curb your impulses and to execute it in a very smart way. Now the number three is the number of development. So this is where we see the energy developing beyond just the gestation. And on this card, we see a figure on a hill looking down at a bay. And it could be the same bay that we see in card two, but this figure is no longer in the castle. They're now on a hill. So it could be the same figure as well. It could be the same person that we see in card two. And he's looking down on these ships going out to sea. So there's very much a launching energy here of finally enacting something. So if in card two he's sort of contemplating how to do it, in card three he's figured it out and he's executing that. We see the growth of the fire energy here. There's definitely more fiery energy permeating this card because the bay is drenched in this very fiery color and the sky is orange. And the figure is also dressed a little more wildly and he's in a very wild landscape. So fire energy has a wildness to it. So we're seeing that grow 
in this card beyond what we saw before. He's no longer in that castle. He's now in a more wild landscape. So if you pull the Three of Wands in a tarot reading, this is a moment of sending your ships out to sea, putting something out there, or launching an idea into action. There's also a bit of this idea that it's no longer in your hands. It's sort of out of your hands, right? He's not on the ships. He's sending them out without him. So this is very much a different idea than the figure holding the whole world in his hands in number two. So now it's sort of like the idea is getting put out there and the world will react to it however it, it chooses. You're no longer in full control. You've launched it out there and you have to deal with however it's going to be received. Now the number four is where we see that energy structuring, right? We think of the emperor card with the structuring. And in the Four of Wands, what we see on the card is those four wands are forming a sort of celebratory canopy, something like you might see at a wedding. And there are two figures welcoming you, holding up these bouquets, and there are even more people in the background, so it's very much an air of sort of celebration, community coming together. The sky is a bright, happy yellow, and that castle is very close, right? So we're kind of coming back to the castle, and society now is recognizing us. This is the first place where we see other figures in the card. It's not so isolated. And the perspective that the card is drawn in really makes it feel like they're welcoming you, the person who's looking at the card. And again, fire energy likes to be contained, so the structuring of the number four, combined with the energy of fire in this wands card, gives us a very pleasant and celebratory energy. So if you pull this card in a tarot reading, it can be sort of an invitation or welcoming atmosphere, or a celebration of your accomplishments, right? The card three, we've sent something out, and this card four is suggesting that whatever we sent out was received well, because we're getting this very happy invitational energy. This is often also called the wedding card because of the wedding-like imagery on it, but that goes deeper too, right? Because here we see a structuring of fire energy, and a wedding is very much a structuring of the passion of a romantic relationship. So there is something to that beyond just the imagery of the cards. So in numbers one through four, what's happened is we've seen the energy received and then deciding how to use it and then implementing the plan and letting it go out of your hands and then success and the accomplishes recognized by society. And as we move into cards five and then cards six through ten, we see how a more complicated expression starts to emerge. So let's move forward into that. So again, number five is a number of transition, and it often brings about the anxiety and growing pains that come with transition. And on this card, again, we see a very wild terrain below the feet of the figures. It looks very unsteady and kind of hard to stand on. And then we see five figures each holding a wand, and what's happening is very disorderly. The wands are not lined up with one another, and it's all just sort of chaotic. Everything's going every which way. And the same is true of their outfits, right? This isn't an army of orderliness. These people are all wearing very different outfits, and overall there's sort of a disorder and chaos and a bit of a frustration with this card. So if you draw this card in a tarot reading, it means something of disorder or entanglement, a lack of cohesion, collaboration, or 
cooperation is leading to the inability to get organized. And what we're starting to see here is the narcissism of the fire energy. So fire energy tends to have a bit of a my way or the highway attitude to it. And in this card, what's happening is everyone has their own idea about how to do something right, and no one's in agreement, and the resulting lack of cooperation is leading to an inability to accomplish anything. Now the number six is where we see a rebalancing of the energy, and so if you look at this six card, things look a lot better. All the wands are now pointing upward, we're having a much more of an alignment, and one of the figures is now up on a horse and adorned with a wreath on his head and on his wand. So we have a person taking a leadership role, and this is overcoming the chaos that we saw in the five card. So if you draw this six card in a tarot reading, it can mean something like a promotion or taking charge in some way, a recognition of your role and rising above in order to command other people. And it can also be just a card of victory, of overcoming the chaos that you see in the five card and accomplishing something. But it's very much a status upgrade in this card. So this is a nice card if you draw it. It's sort of saying you will be recognized for your role and what you've been doing. And then when we move into the seven card, seven is a number of raw power. Remember the chariot card where you're holding the reins and you get to decide what to do, but it's a very individual command as well. You're on your own, but you have control. And so on this card, we see a solo figure standing up on a hill, which represents the idea that he has an advantage, right? He's at higher ground than everyone below him. And he's got a very defensive stance against the wands below, right? He's standing with his legs wide apart and he's holding his wand up as a defensive weapon. And he looks very much ready to fight to defend his status. So the status upgrade that we saw in number six is now turning into a battle. And he's again standing on some very unsteady looking ground. And we have that wildness of the wand suit. So what's happening really is this guy is fighting to keep that upper hand, and he's very ready to fight. So if you pull this card in a tarot reading, what you're seeing is, is an advantage or an upper hand, but one that you have to fight to retain. So it's kind of a card of defending what is yours, or defending your status, or in some way your status being threatened, but you have the advantage an ability to keep it if you fight for it. So the number eight is a very energized number. If you remember, eight is associated with the card strength, where we have that energy to do something. And on this card, we have a very strange image that confuses a lot of people. There's a lot of disagreement about what this card could mean. There's no human figure, there's these eight wands just sort of flying through the sky or coming down to the ground. It's hard to tell which direction they're going in. And we see perhaps the castle on the hill, but it looks very far away now, which to me says something that we've strayed a little too far. And when we think again about that narcissism of the fire energy, that can be very isolating, right? People don't really want to be around someone who's overly narcissistic. It can push people away. And there's something sort of ironic about that, right? And thinking that you're right, you actually end up losing everyone that's close to you. 
The one thing that really comes to mind for me whenever I see this card is the idea of an air raid. Right? If you were standing on the ground there, you'd basically have a bunch of sticks flying at you. Sticks falling from the sky, and that would be a very unpleasant experience. So I think when fire meets the energized eight, things get out of control. And it's not the like disordered out of control feeling that we had in number five. In that card, we had an inability to get anything done. In this card, the problem is more about swiftness. Things are moving too fast and we're having to try to really fight to keep up. So when you draw this eight card in a tarot reading, I think of it as being you're in over your head. There's too much going on, things are moving too fast, and you're having to keep your head above water. There are bombs dropping all around you, that feeling when you're just, you've got so much going on that you can't keep track of it all, and there's no one there to help right? There's not even a single human on this card. So it's a very out-of-control energy when the Eight of Wands comes up in a tarot reading. There's a little too much going on, things are happening too fast, and bombs are dropping all around you. Now, the number nine is a number of attainment and reflection, right? We think of that hermit card where he goes off and turns inward on his own. And when we look at this card, we're back on steady ground. It actually looks like stone, like a stone floor. So maybe this figure's back in the castle. The figure now possesses all the wands. He's holding them all behind him. Uh, so this says that through all of this, this figure has won the battle. He's survived and made it through. He does have a bandage on his head, which says something like his psyche is wounded. And again, when, when we're thinking about the isolating nature of what's happened over the last few cards, maybe he can't trust anyone, or he doesn't trust anyone now. And so he's got this sort of paranoid solo status to him, that his narcissism has led him to being so paranoid that he can't trust anyone at all. So we have this isolated accomplishment. You fought everyone back and you have won and you've accomplished what you set out to do. But now what? Now you're by yourself and you have all these sticks, but you don't have anyone to share them with. And you're paranoid and wounded. So if you draw this card in a tarot reading, I see it as that isolated accomplishment. Like maybe you fought everyone back and you've gotten where you want to go, but now you're on your own. And maybe it can urge you to reflect on the way that your battles have wounded you and try to heal from that, right? Any sort of negative card you want to take as an urge to reflect. And it can also be a, a warning if you are in a state where you are really fighting for what you want relentlessly. It can be a little bit of a warning to not isolate yourself through that, to keep some allies. So card 10 is where the universe steps in, and we have a reckoning or a judgment around the situation. If you'll remember, the 10 card is the Wheel of Fortune in the Major Arcana, where we reckon with the forces of the universe. So on this card, we see a figure who has all the wands, but it's a burden, right? It doesn't look very fun to have to carry those. And it seems like maybe he's been cast out of the castle now, because he's walking on what appears to be a road by himself. So this is sort of the ultimate result of the narcissism of the wands, is that you isolate yourself, and then you may have it all, and you may have accomplished what you want to accomplish, but now you find yourself cast out, and more than anything, what you've accomplished becomes a burden. If you draw this card in a reading, it can be a little bit of 
of the burden of taking on too much, especially if you have that my way or the highway attitude. It's not going to get done right if I don't do it myself. The consequence of that is that you end up being responsible for way too much and you isolate yourself and push other people away. And if you try to return to society after your accomplishments, if this is the way that you've acted as you've gained these accomplishments, you'll find yourself rejected and pushed away by them. So the Ten of Wand cards can kind of be a warning about that or kind of reveal to you that that's what you've done and this is where you are and then you get to think about what you want to do about that because the minor cards are cyclical, right? So when you reach the end of card 10, it's not saying, okay, now you're stuck here forever. The cycle's resetting. What do you want to do next? So as I said before, the cards one through four were that simple expression of the wands, right? And those were a much more pleasant expression overall. And then card five was the transition, and then cards six through nine is the more complex expression of the wands energy. And then 10 is where we reckon with the universe. So we could think about this in the terms of a hypothetical situation. So say, Ace of Wands, you come up with an idea, a creative idea that you want to execute. And Two of Wands, you take some time to think about how you're going to do it. You want to create a, maybe a creative business of some kind. And then Three of Wands, you launch your business. And Four of Wands, your business is well received. So you decide, okay, I'm going to transition my business and grow it. So you decide to take other people in. Maybe you get investors, business partner. And this is where things start to get complicated, right? Because in the Five of Wands, not everyone has the same idea about how things are going to work. So maybe there's kind of a tough transition of a lot of disagreement and disorder. And then Six of Wands, you rise above and you be become the commander of the creative endeavor, this business that you've created. But then that goes to your head, and in the Seven of Wands, you start fighting everyone back because you don't want your status to be threatened, and you don't want anyone to tell you what to do. And then Eight of Wands, things start to get out of control because you don't have anyone to help you. You fought everyone back, and there's just too much going on for one person. And Nine of Wands, you survive the air raid of the eight. You manage to get through everything, but now you've accomplished your goal, but you don't trust anyone and you're all alone. And in the Ten of Wands, you find that even if you try to turn back to the people around you, you are rejected and cast out, and you are left with just a feeling of being burdened by all that you've accomplished. So overall, the early cards in the Suit of Wands teach us a good way to utilize that fire energy. There's more of a contemplative and societally oriented usage of the fire energy. And there seems to be a humbleness in these cards. Whereas in the later numbers, we see the narcissism of the fire energy emerging. And we see how that sort of my way or the highway attitude can isolate us from all of the people that we have in our lives. Rootlock Radio is a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. It's written and produced by me, Weston. Music for today's show is provided by Shenandoah Davis. 
as well as Jeray, whose song Suit of Wands you're hearing now. You can listen to the lyric version on Jeray's SoundCloud account. The link is in the show notes. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've added tarot lessons to the Rootlock Tarot website. As a Rootlock Radio listener, you can get a $20 discount on in-person or online tarot lessons. Enter the promo code RLR007 at checkout. If you have any questions, comments, or things you'd like me to talk about on the show, please reach out to me. You can reach me at rootlocktarot at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time for Rootlock Radio. Rootlock Radio.